So just want to thank Pastor Dave and Kate for building an atmosphere where the presence of God is so welcome. We should never just take it for granted. You can go to lots of churches and you won't experience what we experience here. And uh, it's very hard to find a church where there's a great atmosphere of God's presence and worship like we experience today. And so we should treasure and value that because it's so hard to find. It doesn't happen accidentally. It happens because of commitment and sacrifice and work to build something that we can experience together. Amen. Amen. So thank you. We really appreciate that. And what a, I'm so blessed today. I'm so blessed. Absolutely blessed. I've got four of my children here. I've got three watching online. This is amazing. How, how good does that get, eh? Whoa. So good. Well, Pastor David uh, put me on last week. He kind of said... Uh, you can speak next week on this. <laughs> so I'm going to. Here it is. I want to speak on digging wells of um, our family legacy. Digging wells of family legacy. Right, how about that? Digging wells of family legacy. And uh, there's probably a lot could be shared around this area. And you say, well, I'm not married. It's not a big deal. Actually, it is a big deal. Because if you don't grasp the concepts of this, you won't see where you fit and how to function where you are, and you won't see what's required of you in the future. So I want to, anyway, let's just uh, ask the question, first of all, well, what do we mean when we talk about legacy? Here's a scripture in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man, huh? a good man, that's opposite to a bad man. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, or in other words, from God's perspective, a godly person considers and plans his life generationally. We live in a world that lives for the moment. Uh, one of the sad things we, uh, we, we found as we've gone on a couple of cruises in the last few years, people who, who their, their, their motto is spend the kid's inheritance. I thought, how stupid is that? You don't understand why you have what you have and you don't understand its purpose, it'll soon depart from you. So what is legacy? When we talk about legacy, then we're gonna talk about spiritual and family legacy because they go together. So what is legacy? Legacy is a part of a person that lives on beyond their life on the earth. A legacy is something that lives on after a person has passed on. <laughs> it lives on. So it's something of the person is transmitted to their family. Something of that person is transmitted to their family. So it can be tangible. In other words, it can be money, it can be some heirlooms, it can be some jewelry, can be some property. That's tangible legacy that was left. And so uh, our children have got lots of tangible legacies. I've made sure Joy's hands are covered with rings. So, <laughs> so there's rings for every girl. <laughs> tangible legacies, eh? And uh, so that's why, but then, but the most important legacies of all are things which are intangible, intangible. Intangible means you can't see them, but they're very real. So it's the impact your life uh, has on others for good or bad. So everyone has an impact of some kind. So, uh, so it's, uh, for an example of, of legacy would be generosity. Generosity is a legacy. Uh, some people live in a family. It's nothing to do with how money, much money they've got, but the whole thinking and attitude around money is very mean, very tight. It's not generous money, it's mean money. And, uh, and so uh, that's a spirit of poverty operating in behind there. Uh, courage 
is a legacy to live. The courage to handle adversity and to overcome it or to endure through it is a legacy to, to inspire and leave others behind you to follow that kind of legacy. Uh, there's a legacy of values, the values you built your life on and you build your family. That's something you leave behind. People remember those things. It has an impact. The culture you build in your family life uh, creates a legacy for the next generation. Uh, your example, your personal example, your teaching. So legacy is really important, it's tangible or intangible. And so you've already received legacy from your parents. Now you say, I didn't leave me any money. <laughs> well, you're thinking wrong, you're thinking only about the physical things and they are actually subject to change. The Bible tells us that the focus of a person's life as a believer should be on the unseen realm because what's the unseen realm is permanent and eternal. What is seen is temporal or changes. So money comes and goes, but the source of finance or wealth is unchangeable. So if we understand spiritual realities, we can then access physical and tangible blessings. And that's why we need to build our life around unseen, eternal, and spiritual values. If we build our life that way, then there will be a river and an overflow or a well of blessing that comes which is very tangible. And uh, so we have to understand that. So you've already received some forms of legacy from your parents. They can be uh, financial, they can be physical, they can be memories of experiences you've had together, but they also, your parents have imparted to you through their DNA physically and spiritually something of where they've come from. And you cannot escape it, it is a part of you. And if we don't get insight to the spiritual nature of those legacies, then the things that trouble them will trouble us as well. Make sense to you? So, so, so not only have we received a legacy, there comes a point when everyone leaves the earth, so you will leave a legacy. So the question then is not whether you'll leave a legacy, the real question is what kind of legacy will you leave? Or put it another way, what will you be remembered for? Or putting it another way, when your name is mentioned, what will come immediately to people's mind? That has a lot to do with the legacy you have left. Make sense to you? So something will come to mind. So we should live our life as though we're preparing that legacy to live. So in other words, think about it. Here's a simple, we'll put it another way. If, uh, if you were to stand at your own funeral and to read out your own uh, legacy of what you would like people to remember you for, those are the things you want to be building and working on now. They don't just happen, they're built, okay? So that's legacy. So God directs us to build legacy for multiple generations. God directs us to build uh, for multiple generations. And in fact, he is known personally as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So one of the ways God is known as a multi-generational God. He is interested not only in you, but your children and your grandchildren. And if you're still alive and breathing, you have a role to play in building legacy. <clears throat> okay, here's, so uh, if you think about the promises that were made to Abraham, the promises made to Abraham could only be fulfilled through multiple generations. 
And that tells us that God can make promises to you that you cannot fulfill in your life. They're fulfilled only if you raise up a godly family and a godly generation to carry that legacy. Think about that. Think about that. See, we want everything in the now, but God thinks long term. He thinks generations. He thinks according to an eternal purpose. So some things God promises, and maybe some prophetic words you've had or some things that are written in the word of God may not manifest in your life, but may manifest in the generation after you, but it'll only do if you actually build intentionally that way. So here's a scripture in Psalm 78, verse five through to eight. He established a testimony in Jacob, that's speaking of Israel, he had appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make known them, them to their children. So now what he's saying here is that God laid out principles for success. So when you read the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, when you read the, the way God spoke to his people, he said, uh, he said, I set before you life and death, blessing or cursing, choose life. So he said, notice what he's saying here. Then he said, he's established a testimony or God established something as a rule. He commanded our fathers that they would make them known to their children. Now, you have to understand this, and I'll come back to it. The father is designated by God to be responsible for the spiritual welfare and instruction of his children, not secular schools. Think about that. Verse verse six, that the generation to come might know him, that the children who would be born may arise and declare them to their children. So notice now he's saying that everything that God says and does and teaches us is not just for us. We are responsible to impart them to our children in such a way that they will impart them to their children or our grandchildren. One of the tragedies that we have observed is families where the parents paid a massive price to gain access to blessing from God and the next generation uh, enjoyed the blessing and then they never imparted it to their children who basically now are just living together and living a life in the world. There's nothing that distinguishes them as the people of God. What a tragedy. You can say, well, they've got a great life, they're doing this. Listen, that won't count for anything in eternity. What will count is what you've been able to establish that God purposed for your life. And it says, and that they may not be like their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious people that did not set its heart right and, was, and their spirit was not faithful to God. So God directs fathers. God directs fathers to be responsible for the spiritual leadership and direction of the family and to intentionally with his wife build a legacy for the next generation. You say, well, we're kind of, our our day's over, we've done that. No, no, if you're breathing and have life, you still have a role to play. See? Okay then, now, here's the thing. There is a contention over legacy. You have to understand, legacy, because it's valuable, uh, and legacies from God are valuable, there's always contention. I mean, even you know that there's often a scrabble over a will. You read about it every now and then. Families locked in a legal battle over will. What's going on there? That's a, that's a contention over legacy. 
And while they're contending over legacy, the result is they lose everything to the lawyers. <laughs> it's just so tragic. So, but there's examples in the Bible everywhere of, of people struggling over legacy. For example, Jacob and Esau. Jacob contended because he placed high value on the legacy. He wanted it. He was a contender and he did everything he could. And God said, I love this boy. Esau, I don't like him. Now, what was it that he liked about Jacob, who actually was crooked and dishonest and did every kind of trick, including deceiving his father? Why did God say he liked him? Because what was moving him was a desire for blessing of God and spiritual legacy. He was going about it the wrong way, but God can deal with that. What he did want to see in his heart was a desire for a spiritual legacy, whereas Esau just sold it out and didn't think anything of it. And the Bible calls him a profane man, didn't value the blessing of God and its benefits, not just for himself, but for future generations. The church, again, has to value the blessing and favor of God and learn how to impart and build it into the next generations. Does that make sense? So, so um, and just going back now, because we said digging, digging the wells, so let's go back then and have a look at an example of a contention, and it's found, we've, we've been reading it recently, over the contention over Abraham's wells. And so notice God's the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham starts to walk in the blessing of God and prospers. His son starts to prosper as well, and then immediately there's contention over wells. And so Genesis 26, 15, now the Philistines had stopped or filled up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. They filled them up with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. You're much mightier than us. And Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. He dwelt there and he dug again the wells of uh, water which they dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had filled them up with earth after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names his father had called them. And he also dug other wells. So let's just look into the story. Since we're taught on it already, I'll just bring out a couple of things I want to focus on. Number one, the well. What is the well? A well is always a source of life. If you're, we just go there and turn the tap on, there's water, get a shower, everything, it's all there. But if you're living in a desert, water is life and death matter. So now you've got to think now, when you see things in the Bible, you always ask, what is its function? So the contention over the well is because of the purpose and the function of the well. The well is a source of life. The well is a source of refreshing. The well is a source of prosperity. If you had a well, you could water your crops, water your animals, you could uh, water the crops, you could actually prosper. But if you had no well, you were probably going to die. So wells are really important. And not only that, it's really a challenge how to find and dig a well. It's not that easy to find where the water is if you're in a desert. You've got to know where to look or have someone showing you where to look. And so the thing here is it's the well. How did Abraham know where to dig the well? God must have showed him. And so the source of the well is what counts, not the well itself. So people can get all excited about the money that's coming from one generation to another, what they're going to be left in the world. But what you've got to ask for and really value is what is the source of it? What causes that to be there? And that's the Lord himself, see? So, so wells were also an evidence of ownership of the land. 
And so uh, what is at stake here is Abraham's legacy. And what the Philistines did was they filled in all the wells with earth. They removed any evidence that they were present so that Abraham would have no claim to the land. It was all about legacy. Get the idea? So the Philistines were incredibly jealous and vindictive. They sought to destroy evidence something had been built there and to destroy the possibility of someone being blessed. How about that? Now, this is a picture of the invisible spiritual war you and I all face. These stories that are written in the Bible are about natural people, natural struggles, natural conflicts, natural outcomes. But behind it, there is a prophetic picture and application to us to see that we are involved in a spiritual war with spiritual outcomes. So, for example, the word Philistines, the name literally comes from a root word meaning to roll in the dust, which reminds us that God spoke of the serpent, you'll eat dust all your days of your life. So the Philistines are a prophetic picture of invisible spirit beings, and this is what they do. They seek to destroy the evidence of the wells. They seek to close up your access to any source of blessing from God. They seek to shut down what your parents may have done that you may not have it. Think about that. You cannot rely on the school to educate your children and things spiritual. You can't rely on the church to do it. You must take responsibility to open wells in your own family in order that the children have day by day an opportunity to see working out in their life what it's like to live a godly life. So the Philistines filling in the wells is a, is a visible picture or prophetic picture of the unseen realm. And, and if you think about it, the place in the news all the time because of conflict is Israel. Why is Israel a place of conflict? Here's where it started, right back here. It's still going on because of the specific, uh, the prophetic and spiritual significance of Israel. So here's the thing about Isaac. He held on to the spiritual legacy. He trusted God to be his source just as Abraham did. And he identified and opened up what his father had done. In other words, he placed a value on the work of his father that had resulted in good things. And he continued those, see? So, but then he trusted the Lord to help him dig something beyond what his father had dug. And that's what the spiritual legacy is about. We are to build on the successes of our parents. So God wants you to, as a parent or as a person, plan to provide for your children, the next generation, to be able to go higher and further than you did, to actually labor to produce something that will bless them and then help them move forward in their journey so they open up something that's never been opened before. In other words, that they have their own impact in their generation. And if you look at it right now, the culture that we're in today is different to the one that we came into Christ on. It's vastly different. New wells have to be opened up. It's important a generation rises up that understands what wells have been opened and yet opens up new wells that are relevant for the culture that we're in today. 
Every generation has to contend for a spiritual legacy. You have to contend to hold what was given you and then pass it on. And the tragedy in the Christian church are parents who want, who walked with God, but never passed on their relationship with God to their children. And their children marry ungodly children. They marry children who not got the same value system. And all of the legacy that was labored for is lost. Think about that. So we need to be intentional about shaping the next generation, shaping their heart and their values, see? So let's have a look then about, um, uh, about establishing a spiritual legacy. Now there are two, there's lots of things about it, but let me just identify two things today. Number one, there is a warfare over legacy. We have to overcome negative spiritual influences, historic and current. There is a warfare. No one is exempt from the warfare and conflict. Secondly, we must build. We must intentionally set patterns in place for our own family and the next generation. Don't follow the culture. Don't follow the culture. It's a problem if we follow the culture. So what then is the warfare we're involved in? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 tells us very clearly, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts self against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the warfare we're involved in is a warfare against unseen spiritual beings which influence the way people think and the values they have. So today, like in, in the day when we were raised, it was just an unusual thing for there to be a divorce. It was an unusual thing for there to be adultery. All those things, they did happen, but they were hidden. And if they did come to the light, it was a source of immense public shame. And so to be living together was a source of tremendous shame. Now, the values have so been compromised away from God's uh, uh, purposes and ways, it's just accepted as normal. And we know quite a few Christian families and they're rejoicing over a couple being together and they're not married. Clearly, they're ignorant of the dangers spiritually the couple are in. Clearly, they're ignorant of the principles of God. Clearly, they have lost spiritual revelation insight and they are now walking in darkness. Something has been taken away. Something's been stolen. So there's a warfare. The Bible talks about a warfare. Warfare is not just a single fight. Single fight isn't a warfare. Single fight is just a scrap. So you have a problem today, you get over it. A warfare means this is something that goes on all your life. This is a warfare that is life lasting. You're in this warfare till the day you die. It's a warfare for your thought life. It's a warfare for your values. It's a warfare for your words. It's a, it's a warfare to shape your thinking to conform to the world and have no spiritual legacy. That's why there's a warfare, you've got to fight. And some of the problems that you are facing and that you're struggling with now didn't originate with you, they were in your parents and maybe your grandparents. In fact, they've been in your family for a long time and no one has stood up and solved it. In other words, for generations, the family has lived in a physical, a spiritual bondage, a relational bondage, a cultural bondage. They've been in bondage under the power of invisible spirit beings and they think it's normal because that's all we've ever known. 
and, and it may be that the pressures, some of the pressures you're facing, some of the things you're experiencing, they come directly out of your family background. They're part of the legacy that has been destructive and negative that you have to undo. If I was to just uh, run a class and teach you how to build a good family, it will help for a while, but the majority of people, it doesn't last because it doesn't address the spiritual roots that empower the problems. If we don't understand as a people spiritual realities, then we're just gonna copy how the world tries to do things. If a person's got demons afflicting them and holding them in bondage, counsel won't solve it, deliverance is needed. God has equipped the church with all it needs to fulfill its mission. But if you are seduced by generational patterns and strongholds and bondage to live a low life, then you're gonna live below what's possible for you. Financially, in your marriage, in every aspect of your life. So we have to be willing to put on a fight. We've got to take on the battle, see? I personally had to face and overcome spiritual bondages that had been in my family for generations. Some were religious, some were uh, of a spiritual occultic nature, Freemasonry. Some of them were sexual sin, uh, adultery, and other things that had gone on. These were part of the legacy I received. That's, there were some good things, but there's also these other things which continue to press upon my life until I understood the fight and fought to overcome them so my children could have something different and better. You have to understand that. If we don't address hidden spiritual roots, then there's no lasting change. You get inspired, you get excited, and you go back the old way again because you're in bondage. You like the idea of these things. Same with the financial thing. You can go into financial seminars, you can learn a lot, get inspired a lot, but lasting change requires a work in the heart and a commitment to lifestyle of change. And sometimes we're opposed by spirits of poverty and addiction that resist the transformation. So maybe the things you're wrestling with that you are struggling with in your personal life, that you've experienced in marriage and family life, maybe the source of them is hidden, unseen, and generational in nature. Which case, if we're gonna build a great family legacy, we must not just do practical things, we must also address spiritual realities. And so some of the, what are some of the spiritual roots that cause ongoing conflict in marriages and in families? Well, the first one we mentioned is family generational sin and iniquity. In other words, where there's been sexual sin, there's been adultery, there's been abuse, there's been control, there's been all these kind of things, hatred and violence in the family background, abandonment or pride, or, or those kind of things, involvement with occult spirits, all of those remain legally able to access your life and destroy the spirit realm works on legal rights. When we violate the commandments of God, a legal right is established for demons to afflict and to torment and harass. That's why God requires that we get our marriages and lives in order, not just because he wants you to be just doing things a certain way, but he wants to empower you to be victorious in the spiritual conflict. 
Get the idea? So unaddressed personal sin. You may hide it from everyone, but if there's secret things going on in your life, pornography or other kind of addictions, other kind of stuff going on, it, it gives a gateway into your generations. Eventually, your kids are doing the same thing as you did and you wonder how it happened. You hate it in yourself and you hate it happening in them, but you seem powerless to do anything about it. There is obviously a war going on and you're losing. Unresolved roots of unforgiveness and bitterness and judgments, all of those produce an ongoing flow within family life. You find yourself doing the same things you said you didn't like in your family growing up. There is a hidden war going on. Unhealed personal wounds and trauma will carry on into your marriage, into your relationships and will affect your family. It'll affect a father being unable to love and embrace and celebrate and invest in his children. Dysfunctional family patterns where we've been in families that uh, grown up where they never communicated, never talked, never dealt with issues. Everything was covered over. We don't we don't talk about those things. Really? You mean you want to control it and carry on like it's not there? It's there. It's going to affect the next generation. Some of those things are cultural. Now, cultural, the area of culture is a very sensitive area today. But not all cultures are equal. Simple as that. We're to build according to the culture of the kingdom of God, which means every culture, no matter which one we've come from, needs to address the demonic shaping of that culture and come into alignment with the kingdom of God. And there are some things every culture has, which is, a, 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 which is a value and God's intended contribution to the world. But there are other things which are ungodly and spiritually empowered, which are destructive. You've got to make a stand. And when you make a stand to change it, not everyone will like you. There will be a conflict and a difficulty when you decide I'm going to build my life, my marriage, my family, my finances, my future around the way God says to do it. When you decide to do that, you're declaring war. And it will come in many forms. And so that's why we have to deal with it have to deal with the stuff. So God spoke to Israel, specifically in Exodus 34, take heed yourself lest you make covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going and it be a snare to you. You'll destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images. Now what God is saying is very simple, that the culture you live in is so defiled by demonic spirits and activity that if you don't make a stand, you'll end up compromised and embracing the culture as being the norm. He said, you have to actually stand up to all of this stuff. May not be PC. And in today's environment now, if you stand up, you're going to be held down. It'll take courage in the church in the coming decade to start to get its voice over what's going on. The voices that are being heard related to gender and related to sexuality are demonically inspired, destructive voices. You have to understand that. They're totally out of alignment with God's order. And what's out of alignment with God's order is called sin. Sin has consequences that we don't see at the time, but they are consequences. God calls us into kingdom alignment. Understand that. So God called them to be intentional, not only in the warfare, 
but also to be intentional in the building. Look at this, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. And you know this is the great commandment, but most people don't know the second part of the great commandment. He love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul and all your strength. These are the words I command you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. So the first commandment to love the Lord with all your heart is also got attached to it that you should hold the love of God in your heart and the word of God in your heart and instruct your children. Teach them, impart to them, share with them. Don't just drop them off at kids' church and hope they'll do what you're not doing all week. Come on. And we should honor and appreciate Brett and Joelle and the team that is investing into children and Tavani and Moira and others who are investing into teens, we should honor and value the labor they do. But they're not a substitute for you. They can't be. It's not God's order that they be. They're here to help and support you in building your generational legacy. Okay, let's move on a little bit. <laughs> so, so in order to gain authority in spiritual warfare, and I'll touch on this and then I'll give you some practical things. Okay, so in Acts chapter 19 and verse 13 through to 16, some itinerant Jewish exorcists talk upon themselves to call on the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we exorcise you in the name of Jesus. And there were seven sons of Sceva, the Jewish chief priests who tried that. And the evil spirit answered, said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, who are you? And the man in the evil spirit was, he leapt on them, beat them all up, overpowered them, prevailed against them. They fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's a really dramatic story, isn't it, of a deliverance. Now, don't say, well, I'm never going to do any deliverance. Man, I want that to happen to me. It happened to them for a reason. Here's the reason. You can't displace or command something that overrides your spiritual rank and authority. You understand in an army... The sergeant can't order the captain. Private can't tell the sergeant what to do. In the realm of the spirit, there's a spiritual ranking and order and hierarchy. And if you're not in the game and know where you stand and what you can do, you're going to be beaten up every time. They thought that by just putting into place a method, they could overcome hidden spiritual powers. Like many people think, if I just put into place a bit of a method into my home, I'll have good kids as the outcome. <laughs> You're kidding yourself. There's a warfare and a contention goes on for your family. We have had to pray and engage in that warfare for every one of our children. Everyone. Both spiritually and practically. It's not a, a, a foreset, oh, your pastor, your kids are going to turn out. Really? Have you thought this? Yeah, we're a pastor inspiring people to follow God. We're the target of the most spiritual attack. And if they can't knock us out, all our kids will be second in line. That's why you pray for your pastors because they face pressures you don't know anything about. They're engaging at a level you're not engaging at, but you need to engage yourself anyway. So, so you notice there, spiritual authority works on the order of spiritual rank. You have to have a positioning. The demon said, well, we know Jesus and we know Paul. Paul certainly carries some authority. We're really scared of him. And Jesus, we're terrified of him. But you, who are you? You can't, I remember taking a guy on a deliverance ministry with me to a house, someone who was demonized. And when I stood up to the demonized guy, he just drew back. Then he looked at the guy next to me and then laughed his head off and then read his mail 
just read out what was going wrong in his life. And the guy went red in the face because he was totally exposed or naked spiritually in this arena. His life wasn't right. He just, he's posing, posturing. You can't hide from spiritual realities. They see straight through it. You either got it or you haven't. Now, Jesus has promised us authority. So don't look at the story and say, Lord. no, listen, you're in the war. You're either going to win it by knowing what you can do and, and doing it, or you're losing. But what's at stake is you're, something precious to you, your family, next generations. Luke 10, 19, behold, I give you authority. I give it to you. I give it to you. You got to have it to give it. All authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus. I give it to you. God wants you to have authority. He wants you to have victory. He wants you to be able to establish a spiritual and relational legacy. I give it to you. And he said, you'll tread on serpents and scorpions all about the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm you. No man won't scare you and cause trouble. It just won't harm you. How about that? So Jesus overcome every spiritual authority. If you want authority, you have to connect to him. In the realm of the spirit, without connection to authority, you have none. That's why people get scared. They don't know what to do, so don't talk about it. Just avoid all going there. How can I get that authority in my life? Now I've had to pay the price for getting it. You get it a number of ways. You get it, number one, by revelation. You need revelation of who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He died on the cross for, this, for your sins. He's defeated all principalities and powers. He's exalted far above every principality and power, and he is coming again. I need revelation of what Jesus has done. Two, I need faith. I need the commitment in my heart to believe and put my life in Jesus' hands and start to live a life that pleases him. Living to please Christ may cause people to not like you or upset with you and don't like what you're doing. That doesn't mean that you don't stop doing it. They may not understand your path and your priorities. My family did not understand my path and priorities. But in time, they could see I produced a great result and reluctantly conceded this is a great journey. Can you, make, do you understand that? So it requires submission. If, if I want to have authority, I've got to be under authority in my life. This is a thing the church doesn't get. In James 4, 7, it says, God will resist proud people. You're proud, you can do it yourself, good on you, you're on your own. Everything will be against you. It's an uphill battle and you'll feel the pressure. See? But submit to God, submit to God, resist the devil. He will run away from you, be terrified of you. Why? Because you carry authority that causes them to be intimidated and to run from you. But, but the key there is submitting. Jesus has the highest rank of authority. If I align with him, I now am empowered because I'm his representative. So now I can deal with demon, demons in my own life, deal with demons in the family background, deal with demons that come against my family, against the children. I'm in a place of spiritual authority. And then finally, I need alignment. You've got to align your life right. It's not just some more big thing of having something. It's actually to do with how you live your life. We have to align our lives, our personal life. If you've got stuff where you compromise, that's the area the devil has authority. Get it right, sort it out, repent, put it right with God. Your relationships. I had to repent from failing to be the spiritual head and leader of my home. 
They hear all kinds of stuff in in the culture, but God says this, the husband is the head of the wife. Whether you like it or not, it's got nothing to do with it. It's just a spiritual reality. Of a, it's not to do with how important the person is. It's got nothing to do with their value at all. It's got to do with a job, a function. Our problem is we look and it's all about titles and then people carry on like it's a title. Oh, I'm the head, I'm going to boss everyone around. What a lot of ignorance that is. Spiritual headship is about loving and serving and sacrifice. Jesus is the model. It's about giving leadership. It's about serving. It's about empowering. It's about loving. It's about listening. So if we don't understand spiritual headship, all we can do is connect with an abuse of it and say, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. But it's a spiritual reality that for me to have authority to deal with things coming against my family, I needed to step up and own the responsibility and repent of passivity and slackness in this area. You're getting quiet now, aren't you? Eh? So, and, the, and, and the wife, wives, submit to your husband as Christ, as, you know, as unto Christ. So, so submission, see, we, it's a horrible word because of the way it's been misabused. But actually, it's just to position yourself relationally in a way you flow together in God's plan. It's a functional term. It's not your less person. It's where you fit in how God's designed this thing to work. And then you work as a team, working as one and never letting the kids get between you. They get between you, you've got no power, no authority. They'll divide you and rip you apart. And the kids are expert at it. If you hadn't realized, mom, 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 hear what your dad says. Dad, oh, and before you know it, there's a massive division in there. Man, come on, you all know that. They all know that. They go for the weak spot. Mum said, really? I'll check. Ah, don't check. Come on, this is how it goes. See, so, so disorder in the marriage opens the way for chaos in the family spiritually. So you get rejected passive men or controlling authoritarian men. They damage everyone in the family and they're totally out of order. You get rejected and secure women and they, they, they withhold what they have or they use what they have to control everyone. It's a nightmare. It can't produce good because it's not in God's order. How are we doing, sir? See, see, you want to talk about family legacy? This is what it involves. It involves spiritual alignment. So spiritual legacy is not automatic. It doesn't just come to you automatically. You actually have to contend for it. I look as I've run out of time now, so I probably better draw it in. <laughs> you got to find. I've got some a whole list of practical ways to build family legacy. I'll maybe just have to leave that. But, <laughs> but there are things. You go another ten minutes, okay? Then. Firstly, then a godly legacy. If you're going to build a godly family legacy, it's not automatic. You've got to take hold of it. So I'll give you a scripture in Ephesians one verse three. Now God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In other words, God has spoken and decreed over us favor, blessing, finances, freedom, all kinds of things we need for life. God has made available for us. However, you must access it. In Galatians 3, the accessing of it says God in Christ, in verse 13, has redeemed us from every curse and has positioned us to receive the same blessing Abraham received 
by faith in Jesus Christ. So you notice there, it's only by faith I can overcome the curses, only by faith I can overcome destructive elements, only by faith I can reach into and gain the blessings of God. I must do something. So spiritual blessing is free, but not automatic. You gotta do the right things. There's an importance of doing it. So if we don't actually build a life with God and start to grow and mature and let him deal with our heart, then we have a mixed things come into the family so I purposed and Joy's purpose that we would walk with God and we would resolve our heart issues we would resolve unseen spiritual issues we would submit our life and our relationship our finances and everything to him and then learn how to walk with him now I'll give you some simple practical ways to do it and uh, the thing about Abraham was God says I know him he's going to command his children after him Fathers, there's a need for you to give leadership. And if your father has failed you in leadership, there's a need to resolve the grief and the robbing that's taken place in your life. It's immense. It's enormous because of the power associated with the father's blessing. And many people, their hearts are broken because their father abused them, was angry with them, controlled them, abandoned them, or was just passive and never engaged. Failed to represent God as a heavenly father. Let me give you just a few things now, and, and uh, I can make these notes available uh, so people can just have them if you need them. I'll send a copy to Dave and Kate, and then anyone who wants them can get them. So number one, place Jesus first. Matthew 6, we made an intentional commitment to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because he promised everything we needed would be added or God would bring them into our life. And so kingdom, when it says seek the kingdom of God, it means the government of God. It means God's rule and order and pattern being established in your life. When it says righteousness, it means functioning the way God intended you to function. See, unrighteousness is when we're malfunctioning. See, if we do our part, he will cause what we need to come to us. So the first step is make a commitment to make Christ central and put his kingdom first. Number two, build your own personal altar. Build your own, an altar in the Bible is a place of encounter and meeting with God. It's a place where we offer a sacrifice. It's a place where the spirit realm and the natural realm interact. So here it is in the bottom line is build a strong personal prayer life. Have your children ever heard you praying? Mine heard me, they heard me, five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Late at night. See, but you've got to build. Everything starts with your own relationship with the Lord. Secondly, build a family altar. Build a family altar. This is so neglected today. This is so, a family altar. Again, it's a place to meet God as a family. So we did ours at the breakfast. And we would make it a chance to have a meal together and then also to read the Bible together, read a passage that was appropriate for them out of a book that was appropriate for them and to pray together, to pray for the family. It, 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 if you won't make prayer important, it won't be important. It's, it's blessing. It's the father's blessing the children day by day. The mother standing with them, also blessing, prophesying. So teach them keys to life. Teach them from the Bible. Teach them from your life. Pray and lay hands on them and bless them. 
Use it as a chance to talk about what's coming up and if need be, pray about it. Don't take this spiritual growth for granted. It's not going to happen unless you engage and invest in it. Share what God has done. Let him know how God's worked in your life and the things you've had to overcome at the age that's appropriate. Thirdly, commit to family participation in church. Now, a lot I could say on this, but let me just say a little bit. I've seen over the years many parents who have paid a price to get to walk with God and break free of sin, but they got offended when God was trying to shift their life or offended by some immaturity in the church and they walked away from the church. Well, that's wonderful. They haven't thought through what the effect that's going to be on their children because the children are learning all the time. Your value of the church becomes their value of the church, maybe. But if you have no value on assembling as the body and being in a place of corporate worship, neither will they. You understand that? And so so commit to it. So God plants people in a church. So encourage your family. All of them, when they're young, should all attend church while they're under your roof. They all come to church. You're providing and paying the bills and feeding them. Come to church. I don't want to go. Nevertheless, come to church. I'm paying the bill. I'm feeding you. You be here. God's providing me to provide for you. So, so, so if you criticize and run down leaders and whine and minge behind the scenes, your children learn. They listen and learn. This is all unreal. I want nothing to do with it. As soon as I can get out, I'm out. So parents are often blind to the long-term consequences of your attitude to the church. In other words, the wells that your father dug have now been filled in. They're no longer walking with God, no longer walking in the church. Here's some other thing, you cultivate family celebration. Celebrate whenever you can, have fun together. I mean, who wants to be heavy religious nonsense in the home? You know, have fun together and laugh together and play games together, do stuff, celebrate. Why? Because God taught, get this, get this, this is for all the party poopers. Listen, God, commanded Israel gather three times a year for a celebration and put some money aside so you know I can't do it he commanded them to put money aside so they could have parties three times a year Pentecost Passover Pentecost and Tabernacles so celebrate celebrate you don't have to have much you can make a big fuss out of very little but just make a fuss out of it. Celebrate birthdays. Hooray, you're alive. You're a gift of God. Praise God. Let's honor them and say some great things about them on their birthday. (laughs) You have an anniversary. Great, let's celebrate an anniversary. See, don't forget what we're doing here. We're just saying we're celebrating life. If a child does well at school, great. Come on, let's give them a big clap. Now do it. Go round the house. Let's give them all a clap. One, two, three, clap. Hooray. We're glad you succeeded. We're with you. See, this is all about building stuff together. See, see so you've got to celebrate this. Let, let laughter be in the home. Uh, build a healthy family culture. Uh, what does that look like? Well, everyone's got a job to do. None of this slacking around and doing nothing. People don't feel they belong unless they have a role. Think of my role. Hold them accountable. Age-appropriate responsibilities. Brush your teeth. Make your bed. Come on, put your clothes away. They're all things that build your family legacy. So do it. 
set boundaries for behavior. That's not acceptable. This is what we do in our family. Here's why. Set boundaries. Call them out if they, if they violate the boundaries. Teach them to be respectful. They must be respectful to their parents. If they're not respectable to the first authority in their life, they definitely will be disrespectful to God. You have to teach people to be respectful. No lippy, no answering back. Why? You're cultivating an attitude to spiritual authority. So you, tra you train them in respect and obedience. This is what we want. This is what we expect. And you train them in consequences. What did we say? You made a bad choice. Here's the consequences. It's not a big, don't do it all out of anger. It's just out of, this is life. This is how it works. This, uh, this is what's required. Here's the outcome. And this is what we need. Family experiences. Do family holidays together. We always had a family holiday. I also did personal dates with each child. I'd take them out, do an hour appointment with them once a week just to invest in them personally. It's incredibly valuable to the child to know in all your busy life, you've still got time for them. Very important. You do on a date and don't go doing what you want, do what they would like to do. Sometimes we did weird stuff. We went and bought a bag of lollies. How exciting to buy a bag of lollies. It's exciting. <laughs> went to a bike ride and bought lollies. What a great outing we had. They still remember all that stuff. They're very young. They're very impressionable. And you create those valuable things, eh? Go on outings and experience. I take great, I just invited my grand, one of my grandchildren out to the movies. But I've been doing that with Georgia and Paige for years. You understand, you, you never lose investing in them. And it's not a matter what movie. You don't care what movie it is. It's just we have time together, hang out together. And afterwards, talk a little bit and I can ask questions and maybe get to pray for them. Come on, teach them how to handle money. We did a family night because I had no TV. So Friday night was family night. We did a concert. Man, I, I had hysterics at the weird stuff that happened. They were unbelievable at doing concerts. Everyone learned to be a speaker. Everyone had, to, everyone had a part to play. In, invest in their personal development. You must invest. Help the kids understand what they're good at. Train up a child in the way they should. Just help them discover what God designed them for. A lot of people think that you've got to follow and do what your parents want. Now listen, don't get your kids to do what you want. Find what God wrote in them. Not your job to get them to do what you want in that area of their life calling. It's written in their heart. Your job is to help them discover the desires and dreams of their heart and empower them if they're reasonable to get there. Come on, invest in them. Pay for some music lessons. If you can't, you do something for someone and get them to do music for your kid. Just do something. Make, these are, these are, teach them how to handle their money. So give them a little bit of money. Here's the money. That bit goes to God, that bit goes to spend, that bit goes to save. Teach them from the beginning. Come on, these are things you can do to build your legacy. Help them with their relationships. Help them with all their relationships. Sometimes you need to check out the friends. Because listen, if they form the wrong friends, they'll go a different path to where you want them to go. That's why you need to know who their friends are. So make your home a place they can bring their friends. Then you get to see them firsthand and know who the friends are and you can figure it out. <laughs> see, help them with the conflicts. Help them with the conflicts. They have conflicts with their friends. They get on the phone, Dad, can I do this? Dad, can I do that? The answer is always no, because you're on the phone and maybe you really don't want to go. They're just pressuring and you can't say no. You've got to help them with this stuff. Sometimes that requires confrontation and intervention when they're in the teen years. I've had to have confrontations and interventions. 
You think, oh, you pass everything well. No, no, no. I've had to go there and literally get them out of bad situations, physically. I've had to go and confront situations. Because that's, because this is, get this. If they marry the wrong person who does not share the values and the spiritual life, they will move their heart away from God and they will destroy what you spent your life trying to build. It's important who they marry. I'm not saying control who they marry, but have a voice into it and pray into it. We're praying now for our grandchildren and the spouses they will marry because they're important for our legacy to continue. Come on, these are not, this is not rocket science. This is actually having a heart to be engaged and seeing that there is a warfare and you must both fight and build and persevere. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen to that? And if you're a grandparent, your job didn't finish, pray and intercede, connect with the grandchildren if you're able to and talk with them. Listen to them. Mostly they want you to listen to them because the parents are too busy trying to do life to listen sometimes. But grandparents can sit there just listen and listen and listen and talk. And, and uh, sometimes the grandparent is the one the child will go to when they're in difficulty, but they don't go to you if you haven't built the relationship. So build the relationship, take the time, build a legacy for the future. Great children, great grandchildren, great marriages. Oh, financially prospering, serving the Lord, passionate for Christ, becoming a blessing for the generation we live in. What a thing to build, to dig the wells of family legacy. Oh, I encourage you to do that. Right now, come on, we stand on our feet right now. Why don't we give the Lord a clap right now? I thank God for the people who helped me on my journey. I had to ask for help. I really didn't know what to do. I had to seek ministry because I was bound spiritually and failing. I had to choose models and mentors to help me see what it looked like. That's what the church is to do. I wanna just give an altar call now. Firstly, for those who are fathers, if God has been convicting you today of failure to stand in your role as spiritual head, to pray for your wife and children, to engage and invest in serving them. If God has been talking to you, perhaps you've been passive, perhaps you've been very controlling, dominating, it's all about you. You say, God, I'm repenting. I wanna come and, and properly take my place as your representative in my family. I want them to see what Jesus is like because of my leadership. If that's you today, I want you to come forward now. Come quickly, come quickly, come quickly right now. Come quickly right now. Quick, quick, quick. I don't want to just draw this out. I need you to come now, now. Fathers that want to build a prayer life. Fathers that want to do a better job than they've done. Fathers that know, man, I've got something in my life needs to be removed. I need the power of God to hit that thing and shift it. Why don't you come now? Come, come, come. Perhaps there's others here today and you've got a real issue with your father and you look into your family background, there's a legacy perhaps of abuse, there's a legacy perhaps of sexual uh, 
sin and perversion and stuff like that. Perhaps there's some spiritual stuff in the family. There's been idolatry, spiritism, some kind of stuff like that. You say, God, I need to be cleaned up of that today. Perhaps your heart has been broken because a father or mother abandoned you. You say, God, today I want to put that right. I, I want to actually clean up my heart concerning my parents so I don't bring the junk into the next generation. Listen, no matter what age you are, you can do that right now. Is that you? Perhaps you're carrying shame in your heart from your family, the poverty, the suffering, what you went through. You say, God, I need to be free of that shame today. I need deliverance from that shame. Perhaps there's some of you and you're abandoned and the pain is incredibly difficult, stopping you making lasting commitments. Perhaps for some of you, it's an issue over church and you bailed out of church and now things have gone wrong for your family. You need to come back and repent. Say, God, forgive me for judging, for being so judgmental. I renounce and repent that judgment right now. I can feel the presence of God here to touch people. Listen, those who've come to the front, just lift your hands. And as you lift your hands, I want you to talk to the Lord and resolve right now by the words of your mouth, repent of any place that God has spoken to you that you've failed and need to deal with. Is there someone to forgive? In your heart, see that person, imagine them, release forgiveness, forgive them. You don't know why they did that crazy stuff. You don't really know why, but you don't want to be attached to the crazy stuff. You want to forgive and bless him so he can get on. If you made judgment, you say, well, Lord, I repent of that judgment. Lord, I cancel and call that judgment back today. Perhaps there's an area and you say, God, I need to be free today. Is that you? Is that you? Just do it right now. Do it right now. There are others need to come up. Are there others need to come up? Perhaps you're a younger person and you're wrestling with things from your family. The legacy has been painful for you. Perhaps there's women and the the legacy of family is painful for you. Make your way to the front. Come, 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 come. And just put your heart right before the Lord. I'm going to lead us just, we're going to worship the Lord. Our God is a loving Father who has a great legacy for us. If you're watching online, God wants to touch you wherever you are. You can stand right now where you are. You can begin to repent in your heart. You can begin to connect back with God again. You can forgive in your heart. God wants to touch you where you are right now. People are here. People are standing in the presence of God. Let's just worship the Lord with a song. I'll lead you in a prayer. Then we're going to break the power of those things over your life and believe for a great deliverance. Come on, first of all, let's worship Him. We give you all the glory.
want you to follow me in this prayer. At the end of this prayer, we'll go back into worship. I want to release God's power to touch you, to bring deliverance from things that are unseen that have hindered you. God and you know what it is. I believe as we lay hands upon you, the power of God will touch you and set you free. I want you just to follow me in this prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I repent now of every way that I have failed to be responsible in your kingdom. I present myself now. I submit to Jesus Christ. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I choose to forgive those who have wounded, those who have hurt me, have treated me unjustly. I refuse to carry it. Today, Lord, I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to set me free of every generational bondage and to empower me to be a man or woman of God. Thank you, Lord. I claim it now in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Let's sing together. In Jesus' name, I take authority in the spirit realm. I speak to every generational curse, poverty, idolatry, perversion, abuse, religious spirits, abandonment, rejection, upon each person standing here. Holy Ghost, fall upon them now in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, right now, a fresh mantle of authority. Fresh mantle of authority. Thank you, Lord. Mantles. Mantles from heaven. New boldness. New authority.
I bless this household. I bless fathers and mothers. I bless marriages. I bless families. I bless their finances. I release blessing in the house. I pray, Father, that in every home, altars of prayer will be built. Personal altars of prayer. Family altars of prayer. I pray, Father, there will be a restoration of the glory of God in the homes and families here. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for one another. We thank you, Lord. Everyone here in the house has their journey. Only you know what they've suffered, the injustices they've gone through. But you're the God of justice, the God who restores, the God who rebuilds. Today, Lord, we commit as a house to build with you, to become restorers of the breaches, the desolation of many generations. Father, today, let this house be known as a place of restoration, where family legacies are built, established, where financial favor increases and flows over into the community and into generations. Father, I pray you'd release a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You would release power to create wealth. You would bless the families that are here. And Lord, we give you all the honor. You have paid the price for us to succeed in Jesus' name. God bless you. We love you. Let's give the Lord a clap offering as we finish, shall we? Go and give someone a hug. Go and bless someone this morning.